Praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything. Never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up. 
Your love is devoted Like a ring of solid gold Like a vow that is tested Like a covenant of old Your love is enduring Through the winter rain And beyond the horizon Merciful today Faithfully you have been Faithfully you will be You pledge yourself to me And it's why I sing your praise Will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. You father the orphan, your kindness makes us whole. And you shoulder our weakness As your strength becomes our own And you're making me like you Clothing me in white Bringing beauty from ashes For you will have your bride Free of all her guilt And rid of all her shame and Known by her true name and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, you will be praised. You will be praised With angels and saints We sing worthy Are you Lord You will be praised You will be praised With angels and saints We sing worthy Are you Lord You will be praised You will be praised With angels and saints We sing worthy We sing worthy Are you Lord And it's why I sing Your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips, your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips, your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips, your praise will Ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips, your praise will Ever be on my lips 
ever be on my lips. You will be praised. You will be praised. They just insanely sing worthy. And Father God, we pray for healing for anyone who is sick. Uh, if you're feeling ill or if you want to pray for healing for someone else, someone close to you, just reach out your hands to the Lord, not, not to me, to God. Father, we thank you that in your word you said that by his stripes we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. And we thank you that Jesus was wounded so that we could receive healing. And so we receive that healing from you right now, Lord Jesus, for ourselves, for our loved ones. And we pray that you teach us how to walk in that healing every day. And we pray for provision for everyone who needs provision, finances, a job, any of those kind of things. There's a lot of needs right now. And so we trust you, God. We trust you. It says in Matthew 6 that you are a God who provides and we don't have to worry. And so we choose not to worry and to trust in you. But we thank you for that provision by faith, Lord. And I pray for families who are separated right now. Um, I think of Ruth and Tim's daughter, Paige, who's in India, and there are other people who are separated from loved ones. Uh, Paul Volker is far away from home, and there are a number of others as well. And so, Father, we just pray for those families that you would comfort them during this time where they are separated. And when the world's a little crazy, it's easy to get worried and nervous and that sort of thing. And so we give that up to you. We just put our loved ones up on the altar before you, Lord, trusting that you can take even better care of them than we can. And so we thank you for that. And I also want to pray for um, Carrie and Larry Williams, who are friends of the Duicks. And they are going to be celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary this week, but they won't be celebrating because they are separated. Um, they were wrongfully accused and imprisoned. And so they are 
not together because they're in different prisons and they're suffering. And with the uh, coronavirus outbreak, uh, it's a very difficult situation in prison. And so I want to pray for them and lift them up before the Lord. And if you have any other questions or want to pray for them more, feel the spirit moving in that way, then please talk to Ruth at some point and she can fill you in on them. But let's pray for Carrie and Larry. Father God, we pray for our brother and sister, Carrie and Larry. We read in scriptures numerous times when believers were imprisoned. And you did incredible and miraculous things through them as they were willing to surrender to you, even in such a horrendous circumstance. And having personally talked with both Carrie and Larry, I know that they are doing that, and it's remarkable. I pray that you would bless their outreach and their ministry, bless their cellmates, bless the people that they come in contact with. I pray that you would give them great authority and anointing, Father God, for healing, for emotional healing, for uh, reaching people's hearts, with the love of God. I pray that the love of God would so overpower them and move through them that people will just be drawn to them, Father God. And I pray for protection and health for them during these days. And I pray too, Lord, for swift justice on their behalf. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And just a couple quick announcements. As always, we want you to invite, invite you to lunch after the service. As soon as we're done on Zoom, there's a link on our Facebook page. Go to the Facebook page, LydiaHouseChurch.org, and go to the live page. Or I think it's actually right on the homepage now. CJ and Stephanie redid our website, and it looks awesome, and it works great on mobile phones now as well. And so you can watch all the previous services there or listen to the services on podcast if, if you'd rather listen than watch. And that's all available for you on the website. Um, so Zoom lunch right after the service. There are small groups as well on Sunday mornings before worship starts. The men's group meets at 9. The women's group meets at 9.45. And those links will be available as well. And then on Wednesdays, uh, at least for the time being, on Wednesdays we are doing an extra fellowship time at night, 7 p.m. every Wednesday. Uh, a lot of people can't join us on Sunday mornings for various reasons. And so we wanted to offer a nighttime uh, option. And those have been going really great. And God's been working through them. And it's awesome. And we encourage you to check out our Facebook page. There's a private prayer group in there. Or you can post on the page. Please repost and share the videos. You can share the YouTube video directly on your webpage or on your Facebook uh, homepage or any other social media account you want to. The more we can share those YouTube videos um, and posts uh, from the church, the more people can hear about us and uh, maybe be touched with the word of God. And so as you repost things, then all the people who follow you on uh, social media or Facebook or whatever uh, can see, about, see that and they might check it out, especially during these days. When some people are bored. The rest of us are extremely busy <laughs> and that's not an issue for us. So it really helps when you can repost stuff. Um, that's what the church does, right? The church, that's all of us we are in charge of making disciples and of reaching out. That's not the job of the pastors. The pastor's job is to coach and to train and to cheer you guys on in spreading the word about Jesus and in doing ministry. And I know all of us are doing that, and I want to continue to encourage you to do that. If you have difficulties or prayer requests or burnouts or whatever it is in the ministries that you're doing, please let us know so that we can lift you up in prayer. And we really, really love to do that. Um, one last announcement, and that is that... Uh, in a couple of weeks, Memorial Day, I will be going on sabbatical. This is my first sabbatical ever, actually. Um, for those who don't know, sabbatical is taken from the word for Sabbath. 
and roughly once every seven years or so, um, pastors will take a few months off to dedicate to the Lord and focus on being refreshed and renewed and refocused. And um, it's, it's a good thing. It's an important thing uh, for the church. And so I will be doing that this summer and I will be on sabbatical. And so after, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, I will be incommunicado. And so if you need some help, um, some encouragement, some prayer, anything like that, please direct it to Paul or one of the um, elders, the leadership team, and they would be happy to help you with those things. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna try to pre-record a couple sermons and Kaylee and I are gonna do a few worship songs. So you may see us um, as we do remote services. You may see us from time to time, uh, but I will be on sabbatical starting on Memorial Day. And I look forward to seeing you all again when I get back. Um, and just to let you know what I'll be doing, I'm gonna be focusing mostly on writing. I have about four books at this point that I need to read. And I, I have done a very, very poor job at writing and, and just disciplining myself to do that. So my plan over the summer is to get into the swing of things with writing and hopefully get the first book finished or close to finished, as well as to build up a good habit for myself to write something every single day uh, so that I can continue to do that then uh, when I come back at the end of the summer. Because I know God wants me to write and I've been slacking off uh, of that. So I'm going to use this sabbatical to focus on that. I'm also going to be recording podcasts with my brother, Matt, who you know, um, and checking out some other churches and looking at some other ideas about things that we can do in this uh, new world that we live in. And so I appreciate your prayers. Our whole family uh, will appreciate your prayers over the summer. And, but we still got a couple more weeks with you. So don't worry about that. And all right, why don't we close our eyes and join together in prayer, and then we'll listen to the word. Father God, we thank you for who you are and how awesome we are. You are. How awesome we are, actually, too, uh, because of you. We thank you for inventing the human family in such a way that we resemble you with the Trinity and Father, Son, and Spirit. And in the same way, our families are father, mother, and God. A rope of three strands, which is not easily broken, according to Proverbs. And we thank you today in particular for our mothers. We pray that you would bless all the mothers in this church, all the girls and women who would like to be mothers someday. Pray that you would bless them, refresh them, restore them. And we pray for all of our mothers, that you would bless them refresh and restore them. For those of us who have mothers who have already passed on, we ask that you would um, continue to make us thankful and remind us of all the wonderful things that our mothers did for us so that we can honor them and honor their memory. Pray that you would open up our hearts now to receive your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to Lydia House. It is Mother's Day this week. We're celebrating Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all of you moms and would-be moms who are out there. Grandmas are included in this, obviously, too, being moms and grandmas. Uh, so if you are with your mom right now, like if you're on the couch or in the room next to your mom, everybody whose mom is nearby, I want you to go give her a big, huge hug and a kiss and tell her happy Mother's Day. So that's all you kids or... Older kids, if you happen to be watching it with your moms, 
Um, if you don't, if you're not able to be with your mom right now during the service, then I would encourage you to sometime today, if possible, if your mother is still with us, to give her a call if it's possible to go see her, um, maybe in a social distanced way. We're gonna see my mom and dad hopefully um, soon and just have them over on the deck and sit on opposite sides of the deck outside. Um, but if you're able to call or visit, that would be really good and I encourage you to do that. And if you're not because your mom's far away, then at least try to contact her, give her a call. Uh, pray also and thank God for your mom. And if your mom is no longer with us, then I encourage you to pray and thank God for your mom. And it would also be a cool idea, especially if you have siblings, if your mom's passed on, but you have siblings, maybe consider uh, giving them a call or trying to do like a three-way chat or a Zoom chat or a video chat or something like that. And just spend a few minutes um, sharing fun memories and stories about your mom as a way to honor her and uh, then, you know, pray for each other. Uh, I think that would be a really cool thing to do if your mom is already uh, passed on to her reward. And for those of you who would like to be moms or are looking forward to being moms someday, congratulations to you too. I think you can celebrate early. That's a lot. That's a lot. So happy Mother's Day for everybody. We're going to take a little, uh, a little break from our series on how to live in peace and live without stress and fear and anxiety and worry and all those things. Take a little pause because it's Mother's Day, although in reality, the sermon actually fits in fairly well with the series, as it turns out, because today we're going to talk about hope. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one, one of the reasons is that on Monday, Monday was May the 4th, and this will only appeal to the few of you who are nerds. Um, but May the 4th is National Star Wars Day, and that is because uh, you can say, May the 4th be with you, which is a not-so-clever pun, but us nerds like not-so-clever puns. Um, and, you know, Star Wars, as it turns out, is actually a story about a mother. The, the main hero, heroine, as it turns out, of the story is actually Princess Leia, who is later General... Leia Organa, and then eventually she's the leader of the rebellion. And she, in the end, saves the galaxy by sacrificing her life in order to save her son. And her son then goes on to beat the ultimate bad guy and free the universe from the evil tyranny of the Sith, as they are called in the, in the movies. And so Star Wars really is, it's a story about a mother. And I thought that was, I thought it was kind of cool that Star Wars Day just happens to uh, coincide pretty closely with Mother's Day this year. And so uh, I'm going to name this sermon after the first Star Wars movie to come out, which was called A New Hope. And I think that's a pretty fitting title uh, for our sermon today, A New Hope on Mother's Day. And we're going to talk about the need for hope and in looking at one particular mother in the Bible, one of my favorite characters which is Mary. I think it's the prophetic destiny of the church, church with a capital C, to bring a renewed sense of hope to people, especially in these difficult days um, that are tough. Hope is a rare commodity right now. Um, hope, is, hope can be really hard to find right now. And even when you might get your hopes up about one thing or another, uh, there's plenty of people waiting to try to 
take the wind out of that as much as possible. It's almost as if our society were an enemy of hope right now. They almost hate hope. A lot of, a lot of folks, media, all that kind of stuff. Um, which isn't surprising because hope is really important and hope is a godly thing. And that runs counter to the, the plans of this world, right? We're, we're always in a, in a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And it's a spiritual battle. It's not a flesh and blood battle, but it is a spiritual battle. And hope is something that we are meant to have and give away and encourage in other people. And I, I wanted to talk about that because in these days, I think hope is particularly needed and particularly important because we don't see it in a lot of places. I want to read um, real quickly. There's, there's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about this, um, but we really need hope right now. We're in America. There's a lot going on, as you know, with the whole coronavirus thing, lockdown, economy turning bad, an unknown future. And we don't know how long these things are going to keep up. Concerned about our kids and school and how is this going to affect them, you know, for the rest of their lives being kind of defined as a quarantine generation or whatever. And all these things run counter to hope. But I'm not saying these things aren't real problems, okay? I just want to be clear. These are, these are real things. They are real problems and they're things that we need to face. But as Pastor Paul is always very fond of saying, you know, our responsibility is not to try to control the things that are around us, the circumstances around us. We're not responsible for that. We're not responsible for what happens around us or what happens to us even sometimes. But we are responsible for our own responses. We're responsible for how we respond to these situations and these things that happen to us. And so in these days, it's very important that we put a check on how we are responding to things, um, both internally and externally. And if we're having difficulty internally responding to things, the easy fix there is to bring it to the Lord. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks. We cast our, we humble ourselves, cast our anxieties on him. We say no to letting that stuff in, and we say yes to the peace of Christ that he's given us. And internally, that's how we can deal with that. But sometimes externally dealing with that is, is more difficult. Um, and so if we want to bring hope, which is how I think we should be responding in these days. I, I think the correct response to the world as it is now, the correct response to the virus, the correct response to all this stuff is hope. It's not fear. It's not anger. It's not animosity. It's not um, protest. It's hope. And in order to be able to respond externally with hope and give hope away to other people, which I believe we're called to do, we first need to have some hope for them. I want to read a passage. You're all going to know this from 1 Corinthians 13. This passage is often read on Mother's Day, actually. <laughs> um, it's a great one. Most of us did it at our wedding, probably, too. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, let's start with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Wait, why are we talking about love? I thought we were talking about hope. We'll get there. One of the ways we, we get hope is by digging into the love of God, because when we realize how much God loves us, that gives us hope. Okay, so I let the cat out of the bag there. Uh, love is patient. <laughs> love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And th that verse right there, that speaks to all of us right now, doesn't it? Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And these are some of the things we're doing right now. We're enduring. We're bearing. Uh, we need to hope. If we have love, we will have hope. And then um, finally, the chapter ends in verse 13 with, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so hope is one of the things that remains beyond this world into the next. Hope is really, really important. So from this passage, we can see that when, when difficult, difficulties come our way, we're not called to complain and worry. Right? We're not called to complain and to worry. We are called to pray, to intercede, and we're called to peace. And we've talked about that the, the last couple of weeks. We're not called to believe the worst, as it says in this passage, but we're called to believe the best. We don't expect the other shoe to drop. That's not walking in love. That's not walking in the spirit. We, even if a lot of things have happened in the past that might cloud our expectation for the future, we forgive and we keep no record of wrongs, right? And we believe all things. And so that's the way hope responds. That's how we should be responding in these days. We're not called to negativity. Uh, we're called to faith. We're called to hope. And we're called to declare things that are not yet as if they already were. And that's Romans 4.17, uh, which is to say we speak by faith. And we say we we are getting through this. We will get through this. And sometimes we have to do that to ourselves. We have to use faith to call up hope and say, nope, my hope is in the Lord. My trust is in him. That's where I'm putting my faith. I'm not putting my hope in the government. I'm not putting my hope in medicine. I'm not putting my hope in science. I'm not saying all those things are evil. I'm saying that at the end of the day, as Christians, we put our hope in the Lord and only in the Lord. And this is an issue that we're going to come back to several times throughout the year because it's an election year. And sometimes we get distracted and start to put our hope in politics or in people. Uh, and we're not called to do that. We're called to put our hope in the Lord. He is where our help comes from. And so we need to do that, not only for ourselves, but we need to encourage and um, help that to grow around us because hope is very infectious. It's like peace. We've been talking about peace and how your peace can affect the surrounding area and surrounding people. And when you're peaceful in a room, other people are peaceful. And mothers, you know this, okay? You know this better than any of us do because you know that especially when your kids were little, babies, toddlers even, when you are at peace, your baby's at peace. When you are stressed or worried or freaking out about something, your kid somehow picks up on that. And I was a stay-at-home dad for six years, so I have a lot of experience with this as well, but I'm still gonna give the edge to moms uh, for having an innate ability to do this. And, and so you've realized, you realize that all moms have, have experienced this probably many, many times. And there are times when you realize, oh, I'm, be I'm, being, I'm being too stressed, it's affecting my baby or, or, or little one, and when you calm down, and you exude that peace, it, it directly affects them. And so you moms understand this, but I think it's true on a bigger level as well 
to everybody that we are with. And much like it works with peace, it works with hope as well. Hope is infectious. People want it. See, that's the thing. People do want hope. They crave hope. Um, and when they don't have it, when they're hopeless, they, they really look for it. And that's why sometimes they find it in bad places. They might find a misplaced hope in medicine, for example, um, or illegal pharmacology. We mentioned that last week, talking about drugs. Um, or they might find it in the government, in other people, um, and that sort of thing. But whenever we place our hope in anything but God, it, it always disappoints, right? Whenever we put something else on a pedestal other than the Lord, um, it's always going to disappoint us. Oh, by the way, got my Star Wars mug for Star Wars week. I know some of you don't care about that nerdy stuff, but it's who I am. What can I do? So we want to have hope and we want to be able to give hope to other people. We're not called to believe things are going to get worse. We're called to have faith and hope and believe that our Savior is going to save us. I don't know about you and I don't know about the God that you serve, but the God that I serve is mighty to save. Amen? I'm serious. Our God is mighty to save. We can have hope in that. And according to 1 Corinthians 13 that we read, hope is one of the things that carries over into the next world. And so we want to try to cultivate this. And so in order for our congregation, our small congregation here at Lydia House, to bring a new sense of hope to our region and to everyone around us, we first need to have our own hope renewed. And it could be that some of us... Um, have lost a little bit of our hope. It's easy when, we, when you walk by sight instead of by faith, especially in troubled times, it's very easy to lose hope. And by the way, it's very easy to walk by sight and not by faith. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not condemning you if you've done that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you just open your eyes and take a look around, there's not a ton of reason to hope right now. But again, we're called to walk by faith. We're called to walk by what we see in the Spirit not by what we just see with our eyes. And if we don't do that, it's really hard to have hope. And so maybe some of us have lost a little bit of our hope or are really struggling to hang on to it in these days. Um, so I actually want to pause right now and I want to pray. And I just encourage all of you to pray with me. Go ahead and close your eyes wherever you're at, unless you're driving or in a dangerous place. Don't, please, close your eyes. Do it later. But I want to pray. Um, so please join me. Father God, we confess that sometimes we do let what we see stifle our faith and our hope. We admit that sometimes we walk by sight instead of by faith like you've called us to. And in troubled times like these, it can be really hard to maintain hope in the midst of all this. So, Father, we repent of that. And we pray that you would help us to learn to walk in hope, that our hope would be in you all the time, that we wouldn't misplace it, but that our hope would be in you. And Father, we ask that you would fill us with that hope and that you would help us to walk into that hope more and more every single day. And for some of us, it's been a while since we maybe had any. And so we ask for a new hope, Lord God. And we praise you for that. And for those who have felt so hopeless that they have struggled with depression in these days, and that's quite a few of us, actually. Lord, we pray that you would help us out. We pray that you would show us the hope that is in you. Even when we can't see hope anywhere around us, we pray that you would show us the hope 
that we have in you at all times. We lift our eyes up to the mountain. And where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from you. So I pray that you would help us to lift up our eyes and have hope again in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us do that because we're not very good at maintaining our hope, just like we're not very good at maintaining our peace or our faith sometimes or our love. So we ask you to do it in us and you to do it through us. We thank you, God, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue talking about hope now. I want to do it in the context of, of Mother's Day and talk about my favorite mother from the Bible. Uh, one of my favorite characters from the Bible, honestly, and that is Mary. No big surprise, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think she is a fantastic example of hope. And some of you have heard me preach on Mary a lot because I do, <laughs> especially around Christmas for obvious reasons. But I, I, I preach about Mary a lot because she's just, she's just awesome. So I love her because, you know, we're talking about the first century. This is a very long time ago. According to the world's reckoning at that time, according to her own culture even, Mary should not have been able to accomplish much of anything at all. She shouldn't have been able to accomplish much of anything. All the cards were stacked against her, culturally speaking. Um, and again, we're talking about first century now. Uh, her number one <laughs> problem uh, in that regard is that she was a woman. Because again, in that culture in the first century, women were not much more than property. In some cases, they were property. And they had basically no rights at all. They couldn't do things like testify in court or take legal action. They had to have a man do it for them. It was uh, not a good time to be a woman. And it was a huge disadvantage for Mary that she was born in the first century uh, because of her sex. And also, she was poor. Now, I would argue that it's always a disadvantage to be poor in any culture. Uh, but in hers, I think it was particularly the case. You know, they didn't have government assistant programs or education programs or anything like that back then. And so nobody expect, expected a poor person to become a history maker of any kind. And, and nowadays, we maybe take that for granted because in America, it's possible for a person who's born poor to rise out of that and to even pull other people with them out of that. That's possible. Many of us have our own forebears who immigrated to this country with nothing and worked their way into a really wonderful life that we now enjoy ourselves. And that's my story, it's Sarah's story, it's many of our stories about our um, grandparents, great-grandparents, people who immigrated to the United States. And so we have that as part of our cultural history in America, but back then, that it, it just, there was almost no possibility for that. Um, because if you were poor, you didn't have much to begin with. and You didn't have much of an education. And so how can you really pull yourself up by your bootstraps? You don't have any bootstraps. Um, and so we sometimes take that for granted. But in the first century, being poor meant you weren't going to accomplish much. It meant you were going to have a shorter life. And it was going to be a harder life. And that was just the way it was. So Mary was not only a woman with no rights. She was poor. And she was also from a backwater town. She was from the middle of nowhere, like Podunk, Mississippi, or somewhere real far away. Um, to prove that, when uh, Jesus calls um, Philip 
I believe it's Philip, uh, his disciple, when he first heard about it, um, maybe it was Nathaniel, when Philip and Nathaniel are talking, uh, and they say, hey, this, you have to come see this prophet from Nazareth. He's amazing. And he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, that's his response. So, like, they were super prejudiced against Nazareth because it was the backwaterest part of the backwater part of Galilee. Um, and so that's a huge disadvantage, too. Like, nothing comes from that little dust hole. Like, it's dust and rocks and poor people. Um, so again, huge disadvantage for Mary. At the beginning of the story, when we first find Mary, uh, at the beginning of the Gospels, before the Annunciation, she's young. And not just a little bit young, she's really, really young. We don't know for sure, uh, but it's almost, almost definite that she was a teenager when we first meet her. And imagine now the humility. Think about when Gabriel, the archangel, comes to tell her she's been chosen to be the mother of the Lord. Despite the fact that in her culture, she was at a disadvantage for being a woman, despite the fact that she was at a disadvantage for being poor, despite the fact that she was at a disadvantage from being from the middle of nowhere and from being a kid, I mean, basically a kid, probably a high school age person. Despite all of that, the level of humility that she responds with, be it done to me according to your will, the, the amount of faith and the amount of hope that Mary exhibits is absolutely remarkable. And that's why I really, really love Mary. And she's one of my heroes in the Bible. And I think she's really a hero for all of us for humility and faith and obedience and hope. Um, she has been for 20 centuries. So that's pretty impressive. I think, I think uh, Mary has done, has done well. And one of the things that uh, Luke often writes about Mary, now Luke, Luke commonly used firsthand sources uh, when he was writing his gospel, so he would go and talk to the actual people um, to get the truth of what happened, as opposed to this person said, this person said, this person said this. Luke didn't like that because he wanted to be more accurate. So he went to Mary, and there are multiple times throughout the scripture where we can basically see his interview with Mary take place. And the beginning of Luke is one of those, Luke chapter 2, all about Mary and all about what happens. He got all that information from her. And there are multiple times where Luke says, and Mary treasured all of these things and kept pondering them in her heart. We read that in Luke 2, after the wise men come. Uh, we, we read that in other places as well. And I, I think that's a very interesting phrase. And Luke knew that Mary did that because Mary told Luke, this is what I did. I never forgot that. I remembered that. I kept that. I held on to that. And that is a type of hope. That's a type of hope to say, look, I don't... I don't feel like my baby is God. He seems like a baby. But all of these things seem to confirm what this angel said to me. So I'm going to hang on to that and have hope for what it is that God wants to do through his life. And Mary continued to do that throughout her life. She really exhibits hope. And uh, one specific example that I want to look at in the Bible, open up to John chapter 2. Um, I want to talk about... Jesus' first miracle. Jesus' first miracle, uh, where Mary exhibits the kind of hope that I'm talking about that I want us to be able to exhibit as well. Um, John chapter 2, I'll just read uh, through verse 11 or 12. So at this point, Jesus has probably six disciples. He has um, James and John, 
the sons of Zebedee and Salome, Salome being uh, Jesus's mother's sister or possibly half-sister. So John and James are cousins of Jesus, and they were disciples of John the Baptist, their other cousin. And when Jesus came to be baptized, they were like, whoa, okay, we're going to follow this guy who John the Baptist says is the Lamb of the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. So we're going to follow Jesus. So James and John were the first disciples, and then Jesus found Peter, uh, who grabbed his brother, Andrew, and then Jesus grabs Philip, who grabs Nathaniel, Nathaniel being from Cana, which is the place we're going to talk about right now. So at this point, he most likely has uh, those six disciples who are all local boys, okay? They're all either related to the person who's having a wedding or very close friends and neighbors to the person who's having a wedding, okay? Um, and this is John chapter 2. And in first century, by the way, weddings were very long and very important affairs, um, and especially among the poor. You, you didn't get to celebrate a whole lot of stuff when you don't have a lot of stuff, right? And so they made weddings a big deal, and everyone helped out. And so if someone was getting married, everybody would bring food. Everybody would, would bring money ahead of time, wine. These things were planned for, for months or years, sort of like we do today. They made a big deal out of these, and they usually lasted multiple days. This wasn't a, a four-hour party uh, after a ceremony. This was, this was a very long, community-wide party. Pretty much everybody would have been in the town. Um, it's, weddings are a super, super big deal. And as we read here, we don't know for sure who is getting married, but it may have been a relative uh, because Mary, as we see, Jesus' mother Mary is sort of taking uh, a role of responsibility over the celebration. And so I don't know if she's officially like wedding coordinating or catering or something like that, or if it's just a relative, but she cares about what's happening at this wedding. And so I, whether it's a role of like formal responsibility or informal, um, that's kind of the role that Mary's in. And so Jesus and his disciples are invited. So they go. John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan, in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So wine, of course, was a big part of all Jewish celebrations. It's a part of all Jewish worship services. God demanded wine as part of just about every um, worship in the temple and every feast and celebration involved wine. The Bible says God created wine. It actually gives God credit for creative wine. creating wine. Wine is very important um, to Hebrew culture. It's very important in the scripture. God demanded that bread and wine be placed on the altar in the holy place every single day. And they have now run out of wine. You don't run out of wine at a wedding in the first century in Galilee. This was, this was bad. This made them, it this made them look bad. This was super embarrassing, okay? Super embarrassing. And so Jesus' mother takes it upon herself to solve this problem. Again, whether she was really in charge of this or not, we don't know. But she takes it upon herself to solve this problem. Now, the wine was gone, so people have been drinking the wine, right? People are, are full of wine, as, as you might say. Uh, I'm not saying they're rolling around drunk. I'm not saying that, but they, they had certainly been drinking wine. And so Jesus' mother, Mary, solves this problem in the way that we should all solve problems. Okay, I want you to see this. Mary, first of all, Mary has hope. She sees the problem with her eyes, but she doesn't despair. She doesn't watch. She doesn't say, 
What idiot didn't buy enough wine? Who's drinking all this wine? Is Uncle Harry here again? What's going on? Who drank all the wine? She, she doesn't despair. Oh, woe is me. These people, uh, they're going to look like idiots. My niece is going to look like a moron because she didn't have enough wine. Everybody's going to make fun of her. The women are going to talk about this for years. She, she doesn't do any of that stuff. She doesn't do any of that. She sees the problem and she has hope. Why? Because she believes, she trusts that Jesus can solve this problem. And so what does Mary do? Mary doesn't despair, she doesn't whine, she has hope, and therefore she comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus, and she simply tells him what the problem is. Mary comes and says, they have no wine. She comes before the Lord and presents the problem that exists. But she does so with hope, and she does so with trust that Jesus can fix the problem, and that he will. And he will help. And verse four, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now to our ears, Jesus calling his mother woman sounds terrible. But again, this is the first century. Jesus does not mean any disrespect by this at all. And he proves that in a second. Um, so please don't get hung up on stuff like that. Um, sometimes we read things with 21st century eyes and uh, they, they look wrong. But he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And so Jesus knows, and this also shows that Mary knows that Jesus is going to be called into full-time ministry and doing miraculous stuff. And that he's going to be doing miraculous stuff on a regular basis, publicly and soon. Mary clearly understands this, as has Jesus, and he seems to be referring to the, the shared knowledge of the fact that my hour has not yet come. You know that, Mom. So she knows. She knows, at least in part, what's coming up in the near future for Jesus and that his time hasn't exactly come yet. Now, maybe she's like, well, you've started gathering disciples, so we're gonna say it's come. But either way, she has hope. And so she goes to him and just presents the problem. She does not, watch this, watch this. She does not tell him how to fix the problem. Do you see that? She just says, they have no wine. I think too often we come to God with a need and we tell him how to fix the problem. When God might have a far better way to fix the problem than we would. Far better way. Jesus, Mary could have said, so can you, you know, lift up a rock and find, find a bunch of coins miraculously and we go buy some wine real quick? That would be a quick, easy fix, right? She could have... She could have offered any number of solutions, but she does not. All she offers is the problem. We have, or rather, they have no wine. She just presents the problem to the Lord and has hope that he is going to deal with the problem. She doesn't tell him how to do his business. And I think this is an example to us because I think so often we tell God how to do his business. God, there's this big problem, and so therefore you must do this. Mary doesn't do that. And I think in part because she doesn't do that, the result that comes is far more miraculous. Because let's, let's say Mary did say, so please go turn over one of those rocks and find a bunch of coins so that we can go buy more wine real quick. If that was her solution, you know, maybe Jesus could have done that and they would have had some more wine and that would have been great. 
But what Jesus chooses to do here instead is far more amazing, more miraculous. And so when we leave the details up to God, when we say, you know what, Lord, this is the need I have. This is the problem I'm facing, but your will be done. I trust you. So I'm leaving this problem in your hands and I trust you. I have hope that you will bring um, good out of this situation. Whether you fix it miraculously like Jesus does here or whether you help me walk through it and give me the grace to make it through this difficult situation, I have hope because I trust you. And that's what we need to do uh, when we bring our issues to the Lord. And that's what Mary does here. And she does it in hope. So he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So he said, I, God, the Father hasn't re released me into doing miracles yet in public. I can't start to do that just quite yet. And then verse 5, I love this. Mary does not answer Jesus. She doesn't respond to him. Who says, no, I can't, Mom. Sorry, I can't help. My time hasn't come yet. She doesn't answer that. She turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. That's it. And I love that response because it is such a mom response. It is like 100% a mom response. I would like you to do this, son. But mom, blah, 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 blah. Help your brother do what he's supposed to do. <laughs> like, like, it's just the perfect mom response. It's so human. This is one of those just amazing human stories of Jesus where his human mom brings him a problem. He's like, look, it's not my time yet, mom. I don't know what you expect me to do. And she just says, do whatever he tells you to do. It's fantastic. And then, amazingly enough, Jesus chooses to do a miracle anyway. Despite the fact that his time hadn't yet come, according to his own words, Jesus chooses to obey his mama and to help. I think that's amazing. I think what probably happened is Jesus marveled at her faith, her hope, and her trust in him. Because she said, here's the problem. She didn't tell him how to fix it. She didn't say, look under there for some money. She said, here's the problem. And then she looked at the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. That shows a lot of hope, a lot of trust. Do whatever he tells you to do. And this is how we spread hope, by the way. This is how we spread hope to other people. We tell other people, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you, whatever Jesus tells you. That's what we need to do. And it's what we need to encourage other people to do. Encourage other people to listen more to the Lord and do what he tells them to do. That will renew their hope. And that act of faith, that act of trust will help to renew that hope. And so this wonderful human, human moment, human story, Jesus just says, do whatever he tells you. And then it says there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification. And this was at a wedding. So huge stone water jars. We're talking 20, 30 gallons of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They had been emptied because people had been washing their hands. Um, God had led the, uh, the Jewish people and the Hebrews to wash their hands before they ate. Uh, now we look back on that, of course, with our modern medical eyes and see, oh, that was actually pretty smart. That really keeps people from a lot of diseases when you do that. And that was probably one of the reasons why God had instituted that. There were spiritual reasons as well. Um, so there were six stone water jars, huge stone water jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. That's a big jar. Jesus said to the servants, remember, this, Mary had said, do whatever he tells you. And so this is what Jesus says. Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And then he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So the, the head caterer, the Brian Gutierrez, the, the, the master chef, the one who's in charge. He says, now draw out some of the water from the jar and bring it to him. And they're probably thinking, 
okay, that that's weird. We're going to give him a, a cup of water from one of these washing jars. First of all, you don't drink water out of here. You rinse your hands with it. You rinse your mouth and spit um, sometimes with it, but you don't drink it. That's gross and inappropriate. And we could, we could actually do a whole series about the spirituality of this, uh, this passage and this miracle. There's a huge uh, spiritual component to this about Jesus kind of upending um, the old covenant through what he's doing here. But we don't have time to really get to that um, today. So they, they bring some to the master of the feast. And he tasted the water, which had now become wine. I think it became wine on the way to the guy, on the way to the, to the master of the feast. And he did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, and they didn't say, because they were probably afraid to say, because what's going on? What do you mean it's wine? It was water. Wait, whoa, it looks like wine. It smells like wine. What? What, <laughs> what just happened? This was a miracle that had never happened before, ever. Um, and the master of the feast called the bridegroom, okay, the husband. And he said to him, everybody serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely and aren't going to notice the difference anymore, right? They serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Or the translation I like best says, you have saved the best for last. And that's another commentary, again, on the religious significance of this passage. Jesus is the best. He's what God has been saving for the world until now. And at a wedding, you serve your best first and then the other stuff when people are have had too much wine to even care or notice the difference. But God saves the best for last. Jesus is the best. And he saved her for now. And this is Jesus' coming out party, so to speak. His, his first miracle in front of his disciples. It says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And he went down from Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. So, you know, I love this, this passage for a lot of reasons. I love Mary's hope. I love her, um, her boldness. Uh, in Luke 11, Jesus teaches us, and we've studied this before, that um, in order to get our prayers answered sometimes, we need impudence. We need offensive boldness to come boldly before God and to ask her something. And what Mary does here is really bold. Not only is it bold of her to ask, but it's really bold of her when Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. Even then she says, do whatever he tells you. That's pretty bold. Even for a mom. <laughs> Even for a mom, that is pretty bold. And, and I think what happened is Jesus marveled at that. They, she, he marveled at her hope, her faith, her, her trust in him, her boldness. And he asked the father, okay, father, can I do this? My mom's asked me to do this. Can I, I think this would actually be fun. Can I do this? And the father said, yes. And so he did it. He did the miracle. Because we know that Jesus never did anything that he didn't see the father doing. That the, he hadn't been given permission to do. Jesus kept his divinity on a very tight leash while he was here on earth so that he would be in obedience to the Father at all times, just like we need to be. And so the miracles Jesus did, he does through the Holy Spirit, which is exactly how we do miracles today. It's not us doing miracles or doing healing. It's the Holy Spirit working through us, right? And that's how Jesus was doing it as well. So that's why I think 
he he and uh, he and his father, he and the spirit maybe had a had a quick little conversation. Like, oh, wasn't that great? Yeah, okay. She's awesome. Let's do this to honor Mary, because because she she deserves it. And God does. God God does something he didn't initially intend to do or want to do in order to honor his mother, his earthly mother. That is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And, you know, notice again how Mary doesn't give in to negativity. She doesn't worry about how the wine is gone. She simply brings it to the Lord and says they, they don't have any wine. She doesn't say, can you, she doesn't give demands of, of him or of God and say, just, can you look under that rock, find some money and go buy some wine for us? By leaving it on the altar, so to speak, by leaving it in Jesus's hands and trusting him and having the hope that he is going to do something, she leaves it up to him. And he does something far more amazing than she could have ever thought of. And we need to remember this when we pray. God wants to do amazing things for us and through us. And look at what he does. First of all, he creates a lot of wine. Um, if you do the math here, this is something akin to 600 bottles of wine that Jesus makes. That's, that's a lot of wine. Uh, it's a lot, it's particularly a lot of wine for people who have already drank the town dry. Okay. Uh, that's a lot of wine. And we could, again, do a whole other sermon about how, how this speaks of God's heart towards us. That when we trust him, when we put our hope in him, his response is not bare minimum. His response is abundance. When we put our hope in him, his response is abundance. He made, I think we can all agree, way more wine than they needed. Not only that, but the quality of the wine, of the wine itself, was far superior to what it needed to be. They just needed a little wine so people didn't get upset. Okay? He made a Ridiculous amount of wine. 600 bottles. Have you ever even seen 600 bottles of wine in one place? I suppose I have at like a restaurant, you know, where they have like a whole giant display. But like, that's a lot of wine. Okay, that's a lot of wine. And that's how much he makes. He makes way more than he needs. It's abundance. And the quality is amazing. He exceeds anybody's expectations. So much so that the, uh, the master of the feast is sort of like, you did this wrong. You're supposed to bring out the best stuff first. This is way better than any of the other stuff you've been serving. And so, again, that's abundance. Jesus, Jesus goes abundantly beyond all that we can ever ask for, I think. But he doesn't do it when we hold on to control. When we hold on to what the outcome must be when we pray. We can't do that when we pray. When we pray, we need to do what Mary did. We need to have hope and not lose it, not lose our cool. We need to have hope. We need to bring it to Jesus. We just bring it to Jesus and we tell him the problem. He understands. It's not like we're surprising him. Oh, really? You have a problem? I didn't notice. I was busy looking at whales over here. No, Jesus knows exactly what is going on. He knows the problem. And so we go to Jesus we, with our hope. We bring him the problem and show him that we trust him. And that's it. And then we say, your will be done, Lord. We don't tell Jesus how he has to answer our prayer. We trust him. Instead, we have hope. And... This is why, just one of the many reasons why I think Mary is such a great example to us. And this is how I would encourage us to pray when we find needs or we see others' needs. Because it could be that in this case, Mary's not really asking about her own needs so much as she is asking about the needs of another. Maybe, again, it could have been a relative, could have been a friend, we don't know. But she wants to help. And so she brings it to Jesus. 
so that Jesus can help this situation. Uh, it's very kind of Mary to do. It's sort of an intercessory role, right? And she comes with boldness, very bold, but she doesn't hold on to strings of how Jesus needs to do it. And this is important for us. She asks boldly. She expects him to do it, but she doesn't tell him how. And we need to do that. We need to do that as well in the same way. We need to exhibit the same kind of hope. And, you know, Mary's hope was well-founded. Obviously, Jesus comes through. And Jesus is always the one to put our hope in, above anybody else, above anything else. And I think in these troubled times, we need to try to be more like Mary, to maintain our hope ourselves, but also to give hope to other people, to bring that hope to other people, and to tell them exactly what Mary told the servants, which is do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And that's what we need to do, and that's what we need to do for others. When people are struggling, when they're discouraged, when they don't have hope, we need to try to give them hope, and we need to bring them to the person who is hope, and that's Jesus. We need to try to bring them to Jesus. Bring this before the Lord. You need to pray and listen and do whatever he tells you. Because Jesus will tell us what we need to do to restore our hope. And it might be, you need to do praise and worship more. You need to set aside time every day to sing or to do some sort of praise and worship or play an instrument or something before the Lord. And maybe that's something we like to do. Maybe it's something we didn't, don't like to do. Maybe we find that really embarrassing. But God might say, this is what you need to do. And so we need to do that. It might be to pray. It might be to give. It might be to serve someone else. There's any number of ways. Praying in tongues is another one. There's any number of ways that God might answer that prayer. But we come to him, we bring him the problem, and then we do whatever he tells us. That's, that's the formula that we see here, and I love it. And that's what I would like us to encourage people to do, people around us, especially people who we see maybe have lost hope, um, to encourage them to do, to take Mary's example and to do that. So I'm going to pray again with, with you. On this Mother's Day, as we've spent this sermon honoring one of our favorite mothers in the Bible, Mary. Um, but Mary doesn't want that honor to go to herself. She doesn't tell anybody else, oh, by the way, it was my son that made the wine. She doesn't do that. Um, she leaves the glory with God, and she puts her hope in Jesus, which is what I want us to be able to do as well. So let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful example. We thank you that we can bring you our troubles, that we can bring you our problems, that we can bring you other people's problems, like Mary does here, and that we can have hope that you will do something about those problems. And although, of course, we always would love to see a miracle like Jesus does here, we know that sometimes um, when we bring the problem, the answer is, yes, I see that problem, and I will walk with you through the problem until it's over. And we prefer the miracle. <laughs> But we will do whatever you tell us. We ask that you would help us with that, Lord. It's hard for us to maintain our hope. And so I pray that you can help us to do that, to keep our hope in you, to listen to you more, to bring you our problems, and to listen. Just listen and do whatever you tell us to do. And I pray that you would help us to bring that same hope to other people as well, that we can help them bring their problems to you and do whatever you tell them to do. 
I pray that in these days where hope is fleeting, that you would help us, your people, to be known as a people of hope, a people who maintain hope, hope not in governments or science or, or the economy, but hope in you, Lord, you who never change. The economy might change, jobs might change, everything in our society right now is changing. You never change. You are our solid rock, our firm foundation, the best place to anchor our hope that exists in the entire universe. I pray that you would help all of us to be known as a people of hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we welcome you to join us now on Zoom chat for lunch. That starts right after the service is done, so around noon on Sundays. And the link for that is in the description of the video on YouTube or on our website, which is leehousechurch.org. God bless and happy Mother's Day.